for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. about hope. Um, We are doing a series this month on living on a prayer, Uh, but today I wanted to talk to you specifically about where does hope come from. I I think today I'm going to maybe surprise you about what I think is the most powerful way that we learn about hope. Um, hope uh, Hope is fundamental. You know that verse that says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's Hebrews chapter 11. And a lot of people focus on that word faith then. They're like, okay, faith. I need this faith. I need this faith that's found in Hebrews chapter 11. Long story of all these heroes of faith. I need to get that faith. But it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So their hope that people have, the the human side of faith, the part that has to do with my sense of belief and my capacity to believe, the the ability of my human heart to to accept that there is a greater faith reality, the faith part is built on, the substance is, is hope. And I think that hope is really, really important for us to live a life that God wants for us. I am... I am... I learned this a while ago. I'm going to say it to you, and then I'm going to prove it to you. Do you mind if I do it that way? Okay. You don't have to believe me straight up. I I think that we are social learners. We all learn things from one another. Uh, Years ago, I was um, I was I only just moved to Australia. So what do I be? 22 years old. There was uh, we were part of a youth group, young adults group, and um, we were we were. Jody and I had just gotten married, and we were kind of making our way. One of the one of the youthy young adults people comes around to my house in complete despair. Just, my life sucks. I'm never going to get anywhere. This is amazing. It's already over. He's like 21, right? You know, it's like people overreact when they're young. So I said, well, what's the problem? He says, well, I've, I've looked at my finances. And his, his stress was he really wanted to move out of home. And he looked at his finances and recognized that there was no point in his current trajectory that he was ever going to be able to leave home. And home was killing him. So he wanted to have a house you know, of his own, get you know, married or something, get out. And he, said, he looked at his finances and thought, no way. And so listen, I said, listen, let me just talk about your finances. What do we got? So we started going through. He's got his car loan. He's got this his food. And I said, and then we just made a mini budget right there. We just budgeted it all down and wrote it everything like that. And I said, how much did you make? And so we talked about how much he made. And then, and then I showed him by showing him how much of his money that he could actually set aside every single week, that in a matter of two years, he could completely pay off his car loan and save all of that money afterwards for a house deposit. And I said, listen, within five years, you would have your own house deposit and you would be ready to go. And he was just like, that's amazing. Look, He was so excited. He, He came and moved, you know... You know, one of those sort of snoopy, wah, wah thing. And he left my house going, this is great, I'm amazing. He's telling everybody in the youth group, I'm going to get this, I'm going to do that. He's going to do that. He lasted about six months on the saving program um, until he uh, recognized that his bank balance had actually grown. And so he spent that on some new clothing, some speakers, and some other entertainment equipment for himself uh, because he recognized his capacity to save. 
Now, what I always thought was that the way that that person went from despair to hope was information. But the truth is, what he actually learned is he learned something from me. Something that came out of me went to him. And over the years, I, I, like I listened to a lot of podcasts, a lot of stuff about you know, ways people learn and grow and develop and stuff, and I came across this idea. That what, they, what they were doing was they were comparing how like, baby primates grow, and, and at, at what age does the primates, like a monkey's, abilities differ from a baby's abilities. So if you take a newborn baby and a newborn monkey, their capacity is pretty much the same. Like, they can do the same thing. They can nurse, they can run around, they can fill their nappies. It's all the same. But about two years old, there's this massive change. The, the primate can't develop past a certain point. It never develops skills or intelligence or abilities past a certain point in its, its capacity. And at two years old, that's kind of it. It's capped. And it never grows past that ability. Whereas the baby from about 15 months, but really recognize it at two years, starts to really, really, its capacity for skills and learning and development and operating complex ideas and things and working in a social group just goes off the charts in ability. And it leaves a three-year-old toddler has far more capacity than a 15-year-old monkey. And the reason is because human beings learn from each other. We we take on the ideas and the capacity of others and incorporate them into our own thinking and lives, so much so that we don't even know that we're doing it. Uh, I I want you to think about this. Uh, There's the uh, Wright Brothers aircraft, and here is how that works. Um, So in case you don't know about air aviation, uh, the shape of the wing causes the lift. The reason that the plane goes up is because when you move quickly through the wind... The air, or through just air, the air that has to travel over the top of the wing has to go farther than the air that goes under the wing. Does that make sense? Because it's the shape of it. Now, what that does is because there's then more air beneath the wing than there is above because it's moving a lot faster, meaning a lot more air is there. It pushes up on the wing because there is an air pressure beneath the wing and it lifts the wing. Now, does that, does that make sense? How many people knew that before this moment? Okay, we've got a few aviation people here. Okay. Now, I flew to Melbourne two weeks ago to uh, preach at a church over there. And I'm convinced that nobody on the plane had ever made a plane before. (laughs) And I don't think anybody even at the airport had ever made a plane before. And I don't think that anybody who even knows anybody at the airport had made a plane. And I'd never made a plane. And everybody at the airport was completely convinced. I don't think anybody at Jetstar, anybody that was working at Jetstar that day had ever made a plane. But we know how to make planes because somebody else made a plane. Get this, once. One person figured out that, and because of that, millions and millions of people fly through the air all of the time. Because it only took one person, one human being, to figure it out, and then all human beings can recreate it. Does that make sense? 
one, and then everybody gets it. But until the one, nobody, because the theories out there were very bad, right? If somebody said to you, no, what you do is make giant wings and flap a lot, we have videos of that, of people falling off stuff, and, and we're all like, <laughs> you're so dumb. But see, nobody knew until one person did. And the same thing goes for most things in life, like fire. Like, I'm sure that there was, you know, a long time ago, it was God created mankind and he's got them all together and we've got all this capacity built into us that either they saw fire from lightning or something or something burned and they went, hey, let's do that again. And then once one person figured out how to make the fire, everybody then can make the fire. Everybody after that does not need to kind of go, oh yeah, fire, how would that, nah, I don't know, what do you mean, like combustion? Like it, it's not information we have the capacity to recreate what we see other people do. It's the same thing today in buildings. Like in, in the old times, before we figured out how to work with steel and combine steel with concrete, the biggest span that a building could span was, you know, three or four meters, and then it had to have an arch of support. And then we figured out that that curvature was the curvature that would support everything above that. And then for hundreds and hundreds of years, after one person figured out that an arch was going to be able to support a wall, and so we could have bigger roofs, and we did that for a long, long time until one person figured out that we could use steel. And then through steel, we now can build roof structures that would have staggered people from even 300 years ago. You see, it only... This is the thing. Human beings are uniquely capable of looking at somebody else's life and drawing out the information that makes things possible. We are made for hope. And we learn hope from other people. You with me so far? Okay, and I'm just going to tell you a few stories about Jesus. Oh, sorry, I was going to do computers too, but hey, look at that old computer. Now we got these. Mark chapter 5, I think, is one of the most hopeless situations that you could possibly come up with. And it's purposely created to be hopeless. Not I mean the story was made up. I mean that the scenario was, was organized by Jesus so that you would really feel how impossible this was. What happens is Jesus is traveling from an area that he's normally ministering in, which is this northern province called Galilee. And in Galilee, everybody's Jewish, or most people are Jewish, and there's synagogues and all this Jewish type of worship. And you can tell that when Jesus talks to people that he knows he's talking to Jewish people. But when he decides to cross the Sea of Galilee and go to the other side, when he goes to the other side, that's no longer a Jewish area. That's a, it's an area that's been settled by um, Greeks, ex-Greek soldiers. And the area is called, well, we're going to see later, it's called the Decapolis, which just means the area of ten cities. But there are, there are areas and regions and cities. One of them is called the Gerasenes, and there's another one that's called the Gadarasenes. Does that right, sound okay? So, so Jesus is heading into this area, and what he's doing is he's bringing the gospel of his kingdom into this area, and he's going to meet with the most significant opposition that he's faced yet, spiritual opposition. So first, on his travel across the water, he encounters a gigantic storm, which tries to sink his boat. What does Jesus do? He sleeps, because he knows whether or not the boat makes it across the water, he will just make it across the water. Him sleeping with 12 disciples on top of him will, will make it to the shore, right? 
but that's a, that storm is a demonic attack. You can tell because he rebukes it. And when he gets to the shore, what happens? Well, there's another demonic attack. And this person is probably what you and I would call the most hopeless person around. The person who meets Jesus is somebody who has two to five, two to four thousand demons dwelling in him. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's been, like, did he just personally do stuff that ended up with the 2,000 demons? I, I, I actually feel like, because this is, this is the way that I think about it, this was Jesus' plan all along, that he would meet this guy on the shore and that the demons would have all this clever plan, that if we confront Jesus in one gigantic force, a whole 4,000 of us meet Jesus on the shore, surely that'll drive him away. And Jesus uses the plan to go, wow, you guys have saved me a lot of time and energy because now I don't have to walk around the country finding demons. You guys have all met me here on the shore, so thank you. (laughs) Because that really saves the whole walking. If you notice my story, I walk a lot. I didn't want to walk around, so thank you. Are you with me on that? I I think it was a clever plan. The demons are like, well, beat Jesus. Let's all gang up together. Jesus is like, good plan. (laughs) Good plan. All show up at once. Okay because you're like almost as tough as me. So Jesus meets this guy on the shore. They came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had strength to subdue him. Now, first I want you to see this. This person... Is obviously has extreme mental health problems due to his either long destructive life. Have you ever met people who have demon possession before? I don't. I don't. You don't need to put up your hand. You're like oh, I have. It's me. <laughs> no. Uh, it, but if there is one, just let me know and we'll deal with that. But so the person who rocks up in this position or people that i have met and worked with and seen delivered from demonic possession oftentimes have extreme trauma in their past because the human psyche is not designed for the spirit of demons the human psyche is designed for the spirit of god and through extreme trauma or terrible events or satanic ritual or all kind of occult practices people can open themselves up or prepare themselves for demonic power So this person is obviously off his tree crazy. Like, you would not be able to restrain him. And look at what the community's done. The community has tried to use their best mental health therapies on him. Chains. But listen, that is the end result of all government, right? The government, in order to fix problems, has one last fallback. They will lock you up. If they can't fix you, they can't help you, they can't guide you, they can't correct you, they will just put you in, a, in chains or in a cage, and then you won't be able to hurt yourself or others. Does that make sense? So it's, it's not out of non-compassion. This guy is probably, he's cutting himself the whole time. Like, his person is self-destructive. They're trying to chain him up. Now, think about if you dwell in this community. Who is this guy? Well, this is Crazy Larry, right? This is whatever. I don't know what the New Testament version of that name is. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. The, <laughs> This is, the, this is the guy that everybody talks about, and he is, he is the no-hoper in the community. Is that right? Is that right? And I, what I love about this is that Jesus has personally set this up. He's got to get into this community, and he's got to get them to believe something. 
And these people are traumatized, and so he's going to come and do something for one man, one, that'll help the whole community. Now, it doesn't go the way that people think. So immediately demons start doing this power thing. We're like 4,000. And Jesus is like, yeah, big deal. And, uh, and then Jesus is going to kick all the demons out. The demons realize that their, end is, their game is up. So they kind of come up with plan B, which is how about we go into pigs? And, and by the way, the great plan, pigs, I don't know. People oftentimes have criticized the, the Bible and said that the Bible can't be true because why would Jews be raising pigs? But it's clear that this area is not inhabited by Jews. It's inhabited by Gentiles. So thank you, Voltaire. I was just reading that the other day, saying that the New Testament's wrong because there should be pigs there. Jews would never raise pigs. Thank you, Voltaire. You should have known that Gentiles live there. But anyway, so, so they come up with a plan B, throw us into the pigs. There's a giant pig area farming whatever on the coast so they just go go into the pigs and what do the pigs do now that they have demons yeah it's suicide do do you guys say sui for pigs around here when you call pigs that's no oh sorry that joke is totally so here's how you make a good joke so, so the pigs throw themselves into what now listen community is learning the whole time. The community is learning. Crazy Larry just got better. And also, we lost two to 4,000 pigs. I don't know if they ride double in pigs. Was there 1,000 pigs? Or they, I don't know. One pig per person? I don't know. Or per demon? But anyway, they're all, and they see the economic costs of what happens. So the herdsmen fled then and told to the city and in the county. So they are classic gossips. No internet. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their, reason, from their region. Now, I, I always think this is, this is classic people, right? We always think about um, financial outcomes ahead of actual health outcomes. We always think about the money ahead of the spiritual. We think about what am I going to lose out of this deal? Have you ever tried to help somebody understand that Jesus is a savior who can guide you through not just in eternal life, but also guide you in your living life, your human life? And people think, yeah, but what will I lose? What? Sin? Like hopelessness, despair, sickness? You, what are you losing out here? Yeah, but what, how's it going to affect my money? See, these guys all saw the financial aspects and went, well, this is obviously bad for us. Let's get Jesus out of town. And so they say to Jesus, please, uh, we know we sent a troop of demons to welcome you, but we're just going to ask you this time, please go away. Please come again when you can't stay for so long. So Jesus actually departs. Now, before he departs, Jesus has a secret plan. He plants this seed. As he's getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's 10 cities, Deca, 10 polis cities, 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everybody marveled. Now, this is what I love about this plan. How many 
people does it take to tell an entire 10-city region that there's hope in Jesus Christ? How many people? It takes one. It, it, why does it take one? Is it because that one person will have all of the information required? No. Is it because Crazy Larry is the most convincing person in the pack? He's done degrees in theology, and he can explain the ways that the sovereign God works. Is he Calvinist? Is he Arminianist? Is he going through the community telling people who's saved, who won't be saved? Is, he, is it because he is the best? You see, it's not because he's the smartest. It's not because he's the most talented. It's because he's the one who can tell you that things are different. He's the one. He's the one person who says, there is this man named Jesus, and every spiritual power in the world bows to him. I know it. And you can't argue with that. And so he goes and he spreads this. He's just going now. He used to run around cutting himself. Now he's running around telling everybody, there is this guy from the other side of the lake that can transform your life. Now, what happens is... Jesus comes back. He goes back to, to, to where he was, Capernaum, and he goes and does ministry there for a while, feeds a bunch of people. Then he comes back again. When he crossed over, he came to the land of Gennesaret, which is part of the Decapolis, and he moored to the shore. And when he got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. See, how many people does it take to build hope? It takes one person who can tell you there is a way. Because we learn hope from other people. We don't learn hope from information. We learn hope from people. And this person told everybody. And when Jesus came back, everybody who used to be in the get Jesus out of town business is now in the get Jesus to stay in town business. Because everybody wants Jesus. But there's a next line that I think is equally interesting. Look at what happens. Whenever he came, so now he's going through the Decapolis, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Now, why are they touching his fringe of his garment? Does anybody remember that part in Exodus chapter 54 where it says that if you touch the fringe of a rabbi's garment, you'll be made well? Do you remember that verse? No. <laughs> There's, does, oh, but probably you remember it from the great stories of, of Moses in the Old Testament about how when he was crossing the Red Sea that people touched the hem of his garment. and got, You remember that? No, so you're probably thinking, probably, probably one of the patriarchs. He probably, maybe it was like Jacob. He was doing, and it was touched. No. We've got a heel thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> See, this, is, this, this to me talks about how, how, how hope-obsessed people are and how they don't know what to put their hope in. Because do you know why the people are touching the hem of, of his garment? No, because another story has leaked across the lake. When she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowds and touched his garment, she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Like, like this is just, like, it's just, in, this, is how, this is how crazy we are, right? 
we are so obsessively learn from other people that we don't even know what we're learning. We just try to pick it up as best we can. We're just like, okay, so, so this woman, she's, she's found Jesus. Where does she find Jesus in this story? In a marketplace, right? So clearly then it's marketplaces where Jesus heals, right? Because he couldn't heal just anywhere. Where did it happen? Tell me how the story, how it happened. Well, I was in a marketplace. Righto, we've got it figured out. It's marketplaces. So don't go to the synagogue. You never get healed there. Jairus, his daughter got healed at home, but she was in the marketplace and she came to touch. She came behind Jesus. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She touched Jesus and then she immediately stopped bleeding. And then when she stopped bleeding, she tried to sneak away, but Jesus goes, oh no, 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 we're stopping this boat right now. So he stops the train and he says, who touched me? And then Peter goes, come on, Lord, everybody's touching you. And why are you so touchy all of a sudden? And so he's like, it's just like, come on, we all touch you. He's like, no, no, one person touched me with faith. You lot got nothing. So, 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 so she she gets this thing because she touched Jesus and she had faith and faith always responds to the power of God, but hope brought her there. And she was there, she touched. Then everybody hears the story and they start telling the story between Luke chapter five at the beginning with the Gennesaret story, the crazy guy, and then he goes home and he heals this woman. And then that story comes back now. And what happened? Well, this lady, she was walking through the marketplace. Oh, marketplace. What did she do? Well, she touched the hem of his garment. Well, that's clearly what you got to do. Don't touch him on the foot, not the hand, not the neck. you got to get the garment right on the tippy tip, and then you'll be all better. Can, can, I, just, can I just say this? This is, this is us. This is people. We just weirdly pick up all the information and then assume that a bunch of it had to do with us, what we did. Like, oh... Uh, uh, it's because I, I, I do all of these good deeds. That's why this nice thing happened to me. Oh, it's because you did those things wrong. That's why this went wrong from you. Hey, this is, can, I just, can you just pay attention to me? You've been learning your entire life from the people around you, and probably a ton of the things that you learned are actually wrong. Because you learn from people because you can't help but learn from people. If, if one person you know gets hit by lightning just after they curse you know that you're going to curse less. We just learn lessons like that. We just pick up stuff, but that's not how it works. This person, they learn. And then later on, you know what happens later on in the story? I'll just throw you in this. This is for extra. They reach, they, they realize that it's the shadow of Jesus can heal people. Do you know what I reckon happened? I reckon they were like lying in the marketplace and some guy who's like lying there sick is reaching for the garment. But it's always been the faith. It's never been the garment. So he's reaching for the garment. But he doesn't, he kind of reaches, uh, and he, fa- he misses. But then the shadow of Jesus heals him anyway. Because it was the faith all along, not the garment. And then everybody goes, oh, it's shadows. It's shadows now. We don't need to, so they just make it all up. It's so funny. People are just weird. Let me, sh- let me show you a scripture. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, that's the authorities, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, and always be prepared to make a defense, that is, to give the answer, to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." So let's talk about this. He's, 
He is talking about evangelism, but he's talking about evangelism that comes when you go through a hard time, but you still hang on. Why would you have hope even though things are going bad? Why would you continue to believe? Because this is a big... You know, one time my neighbor, I, I was out, I don't know, I've told this story before or not, I was out digging stormwater trenches because uh, we had no stormwater in the house that we bought, so I had to dig the stormwater trenches. I'm out digging those stormwater trenches, and the only day I had, it was bucketing down with rain. So I, I'm just getting completely drenched as I'm, you know, digging these long trenches to put stormwater pipe under the ground, and, you know, you've got to dig it fair down. So I'm like, oh, digging away. And my neighbor, who I've been telling about Jesus, comes over to have a shot at me. Because he's like, you know, he's like, is this how your God takes care of you? He's like pouring down rain on you. Like, this is crazy, you know? And you got all this faith for this God. He's like, Look at how bad your life's going. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm laying stormwater here. It's very important that the water flows out. So what God has provided for me is he has provided the perfect environment for me to put stormwater in because now I'll know whether I put the pipes in right or not. What's he going to do for you? Leave it dry and sunny? He doesn't love you. He loves me. (laughs) Now, that's just like a, a little thing. But hope is far deeper than that. And so what what he's saying is that every single time that somebody sees that you're different and says that you've got a reason to look and goes, why are you, why is your marriage working out okay? Why are your kids okay? Why why is it, why didn't you worry about that when you had, when you got sick? Why weren't you so, why? And then he says, just be ready to tell them the reason that you got a hope. But you better do it gently because here's the thing. As soon as you start fighting with people and arguing with them, they are never going to be influenced by you. It's, in fact, the human body shuts down the influence of others as soon as there's conflict. Our pupils constrict. Our blood pressure rises. We stop being able to hear and take in information, which is why when you're arguing with your wife, if you've got a hot temper or you get excited or your husband and you're like, I'm super angry right now, you can never hear their, other, their side of the argument. Because you are now in a position where you cannot hear, cannot see, cannot understand. So you can't take anything. So, so Peter just goes, listen guys, do it gently with people. Because if you do it gently, they'll just accept it. You don't have to force it down their throat. You just have to say, well, I've got to hope because I believe God loves me. I've got to hope because I think Jesus is alive. I've got to hope because I think Jesus heals people. That's where my hope comes from. And just do that with gentleness, respect. And they'll take that hope home. They'll just accept it. Because people can't help but accept it. They're not going to go home and wipe that conversation out of their head. They can't. It's already too late. They can't wipe out the memory of talking to you. They can't wipe out the experience of seeing you happier than you should have been. They can't do it. Because hope is contagious. So, um, when in 2 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about about the life that we go through trials, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, the word comfort is in there a lot, but basically, the only reason you have comfort is because God comforted you. And now what you need to do is to take that comfort and give it to somebody else. The reason that you have hope is because God helped you once. Now you take that experience and share that experience with somebody else. 
so that the hope that you got will go to them. Because as soon as they hear how God helped you, they'll think God will help them. Because that's how hope works. But if you don't tell people, they will never know the reason for hope. Because they can't know. Because they'll just look and assume, you touched a garment. Oh, I didn't touch a garment. It was Jesus. All right, so I'm going to close up. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. This is Paul using this to help others. These people in this part of the passage, he's really talking about anxiety and stress. And the final thing he says to them is this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen, what you've learned, received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is, if you want more hope and Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if you want to have see great miracles, have great faith outcomes in your life, you need more hope. The question is, where is your source for hope? And it's not a what, it's a who. There's people in your world that you are learning and receiving from. You can receive the Bible stories. You can receive the stories and testimonies from others. What are you learning and receiving? What have you heard and seen in somebody then you need to practice those same things and God will be with you. So I have a, I have a person in my head. You need, this, you need a person like this too. The person in my head is Pastor Barry McGaffin from Vancouver, Burnaby, British Columbia. He, he was my pastor when I was in Bible college and he was just the guy that never stopped believing. There was never a moment I ever saw him rattled. And that's not because he was faking something. He just is like a walking peace person. You come in in any room, people are upset. He just come in and people will calm down. I'm like, how do you do that? He would, he would talk to you, shake your hand and make you feel better right away. He, one time, because I was the janitor in the church for a while, um, one time I was cleaning up the waste baskets and this was naughty of me, but... I was dumping out his wastebasket and I saw his pay slip in the wastebasket back in the day when they itemized everything. And I looked at it. I shouldn't have done that because, because it's been a constant challenge. Hey, I, I knew this guy well, right? I had meals at his house. I put a new V8 engine in his car. I guess he had a Mustang with a six-cylinder. <laughs> so I had to put a new V8 in it. So, it. so I spent a ton of time with this guy, and I saw that he lived right above poverty. His, his clothes were old. His food was cheap. He just did not have much. When I saw his paycheck, I saw that he gave half of his income away to missions. So be careful who's rubbish you look in. Because I thought, this is the faith level of this man. But now I've got this set in my head. And like um, my wife Jody and I, we, we visited him in Vancouver once and he came over here once and visited us here. And we spent time together. And even though Jody, I knew him for like four years solid. Jody only met him a few times over a few weeks. And 
And she uses Barry as her person in her head now. Because to us, he's the person who has the hope. And whatever we see and heard in him, whatever we learn and receive, we want it from a person like that to set our belief systems. He had tons of despair. His, his wife died of cancer when, he, when she was 62 years old, I think. Um, she came out for a visit with us too. And he's been through incredible difficulties, but his hope is solid and firm because, well, he had great mentors. But for me and my wife, he became that guy that you go, you see, I learned from him, not the information from him. I learned from him. And it only takes one person like that to change the whole community. And so if I could leave you with one last cha- challenge then. For us to have more hope, we should, who should we be learning and receiving from? There's people you shouldn't be. You should not be, re- people who are hopeless, you should not be re- receiving from them. Find people who are hopeful, learn from receive. Who are you hearing and seeing? Who is the example that you're practicing and how has God been with them? As you see the work of God in their lives, that's when you go, what? that's why it works. It's because of God, not the person. It's because they trust God. And the question then is, what do people learn and receive when they observe you? What would they hear and see in you? How could you support them as they practice? And how can you tell them how God has been with you? If you're a parent... This is how you train children. It's what they learn and they see in you. It's what they receive from you. And it's what you help people to practice that ends up shaping their hope, which gives them great faith, which transforms their lives. So, Father, we pray that today you would help us. Help us by giving us like a firsthand presence with the story in, stories in the Bible. So that where we see you at work, Lord, we absorb the hope and the faith that you are building into people. That we learn the lessons of those who put their hope and trust in you. And that we absorb it and it becomes our own. Lord, help us to see it, to hear it, to learn it, to practice it. Help us. Help us, Lord, to set good examples in our minds and our hearts for the people that we should be looking to. Lord, I pray that you would give people an insight right now in their own experience of the kind of hope-filled, faith-filled people that they should be looking to for encouragement and for guidance and for a lesson on how to live a faithful life before you. Lord, give us those models and examples. And Father, we pray that you would help us to become those models and examples. Help us spread the message of hope, just like that demoniac Lord, let us spread the seed of hope in the community in which you've caused us to live. Help us tell the story of how you've helped us so that others can believe. We pray that you help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.